who dwells in unapproachable light has called, has caused that light to come into the world and has sought each and every one of us. A holy, perfect God that loves you with a love that's so great. It goes beyond anything we could ever conjure up in our own strength. But that love has shown in our hearts that God would willingly extend mercy and grace to a people that has intentionally left him and chase us and pursue us and tackle us and make us say uncle, make us surrender so we could see I love you and I'm chasing you and I'm holy and I'm perfect and I'm the protector and I'm the guide, I'm the comforter, I'm the one who has peace and I'm bringing it to you and I'm giving it to you. This is the one who we worship and who we serve and he is worthy of these songs and this praise. Let's go together and pray to this wonderful Father. Father, you are holy. You are perfect. You require your people to be holy. But you know we can't do it in our own strength. So you even supply the energy, the strength, the focus. You are the one who works and is both to will and to work for your good pleasure. You do it all. You get all the glory. Thank you for not leaving us in our wretched condition. The whole earth can turn to you and accept a free gift of salvation through faith in your Son. I pray that you just move back all the distractions that keep us from seeing that. And you patiently and kindly work on our hearts to help us to see the beauty that is in Jesus Christ. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Before me, these are your people. You've told me to feed your sheep. So I pray that you'd be with us as we open your word and you would feed us with the nourishment and the words of Christ that bring life to our light and bring peace, which we desperately need in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is Summit Kids. And so at this time, we are going to give a round of applause to our kids as they exit to go learn their own lesson. We love seeing them in here with us and worshiping with us. You guys have a great, great time. We love you. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, church, we are beginning a brand new series that we are very excited about. Many, many months uh, we have spent anticipating this series because we are really excited to jump into uh, looking at one of the gospels in specific specific words of Jesus during a very, very important and crucial time of his life and ministry with his disciples. You can see behind me the title of the series is Real Peace. And you see that little verse underneath it, John 14, verse 27. Let me read it real quick. John chapter 14 and verse 27. This is what Jesus says. This is our theme verse for the next few months. Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you peace. There's an implication there that there's a counterfeit type of peace and there's a real peace. Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us that he is leaving on planet earth with us peace. Let's talk about peace for a second. Old Testament is the word shalom. 
New Testament, as you see it in Greek, it still carries over. It's the same word that they would have known. They'd be thinking about shalom. In Greek, arene would be the word peace. What does that mean? Immediately when I think of peace, I immediately think of a wartime and I think of no more war. But that's not what peace in itself simplistically is made up of. Peace has the idea of bringing things together and making it complete and whole. And the reason it's so significant during a time of war is because what resonates through our hearts when people are fighting, something's wrong, something's missing, there's no unity. So what is it that is needed in order to stop this war and this fighting? It's, it's peace. But peace just doesn't mean no more war. Peace means to take something that's shaken and scattered and bring back together. So when Jesus says, I leave peace with you, what is it he's trying to say is, is scattered or not right or missing that needs to be brought together and made whole and complete? I think the best way for us to think about it is like this. It's our hearts. It's our soul. It's our mind. It's the inner being of each person that calls Jesus Christ their Lord that still in these bodies and on planet earth experiences, and everyone should be shaking their head at amen, a lack of peace. Or in other words, something's missing, something's not right, something in my own heart that is causing me to constantly feel troubled and agitated and lacking peace. We know it when we go to bed at night, right? Because it's hard to sleep, right? Minds racing, hearts pacing, thinking constantly about everything before us that somehow we feel like we've got to figure out, knowing it's wrong and then feeling it infect our life and our soul and our physical bodies that God giving, are giving us manifesting the problems and the ruminations of the soul. And in that moment, what we're desperately wanting is peace because we know it's peace that will solve the war of not being able to sleep. I just want to sleep. Peace. Peace. God, you're leaving peace with me, but this peace, is it, is it just circumstantial? Is it the things that I think about that are, that are chaotic in my life that just need to stop? Is that what you're saying? You're bringing peace that will stop all this craziness and then make me feel better? Or are you saying you're giving me a different heart that will be able to experience peace amidst the circumstances? I think we know it's the latter. Today, we're gonna start the series at the beginning of John 14, And we're gonna see real peace for troubled hearts and right off the bat how Jesus is already going to start giving peace to his disciples during a crazy time. First four verses, John chapter 14, I'm gonna read, here we go. Jesus says this to the disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Simply read the text. 
But when you read just these four verses, if it's anything like me, I immediately think, okay, what is going on here where Jesus feels necessary to tell his disciples this? So here's what we're going to do together. Here's how this sermon's going to work today. We are going to take a time machine. We're going to get, we're going to try our best to get right there with the disciples and understand what's going on. And then towards the end, I'm going to bring it back home and see how this infects our lives and how this should impact and impact, infect our lives, how these truths are coming to us. But we need to spend some time putting ourselves in the disciples' shoes. Okay, can we do that? We're ready to do it? Here we go. So let's Let's, let's figure out and see what's going on here. I'm going to put a little uh, list on the screen to give us some context of what is going on that's leading Jesus to try to comfort their hearts, still their agitating hearts, give them peace in a moment that's causing them trouble. What's going on? Chapter 13, what's going on in chapter 13 before he gets to 14? It's the night before Jesus' death. He knows it. And he's beginning to kind of elucidate this to his disciples. They're starting to understand that he's talking about maybe leaving and dying, and they're picking up on it finally. It's the night before Jesus' death. It's the night where he takes a basin of water and some garments. If you read through 13, and what does he do? He stoops down and he washes his disciples' feet, all 12 of them, including Judas, and that's a big deal because he's going to talk about Judas in chapter 13 as well. Jesus stoops down and he, he washes his disciples' feet. He says, I'm doing this for you. I'm your master. You follow me and you do as your master does. And get, look what your master's doing. Your master, your God, is not a dictator who throws lightning bolts at people. He's a God who stoops down and he washes dirty feet. This is your master. My servants do the same. Serve one another right? And in that he's serving who? His betrayer, Judas. He even reveals in chapter 13, reveals to the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. Then he tells them that he is leaving and they won't be able to follow him. Are you with me so far? Are we, are you there sitting at the table with Jesus? You're one of the disciples, like what is going on here? You spent three, weeks, three years with this man. He's gonna conquer your enemies. Things are going to be great and he's gonna make life the way it should be. And in this moment, he seems to be delivering news to me that's causing me to f- feel something's wrong here. What, what, this mighty king and warrior is stooping down to wash my dirty feet. Oh, that doesn't, it's not the king that I was expecting, but there's something... <laughs> One of us of the tw- is going to betray us, and then he just tells me he's going to leave. He's going to leave us. I mean, he's right here with us. The one we want, he's with us, and he's leaving us. And he says we can't follow him. Is he saying he's going to die? Maybe he's saying he's going to die, which then reveals at the end of thirteen what happens. That's when Peter gets up and he says, "Lord, Lord, look, come on, listen, listen. We're not going to let anything. Ba- I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you. I'm going to make sure this doesn't." happen. And then what does Jesus reveal? He says, Peter, I tell you that before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied, before the rooster crows, you have denied me three times. Recap with me. Within one chapter, Jesus has revealed, one of you is going to betray me. I'm going to leave you. You won't be able to follow me. And Peter, your word is not good. You think you will, but let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to deny me. Couple questions. I'll put them on the screen. 
Couple questions. How do you think the disciples are feeling after hearing all of this? You're right there with them. How would you feel being one of them, hearing your master say these things? Would trouble begin filling your heart? Absolutely. Jesus knows it. Jesus knows that trouble and agitation, agitation and, and, a, and a, a worry and an anxiety is filling his children's heart. Now, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. What would you tell your children to comfort them in this time? We may not be able to relate to this circumstance. We, we don't want to relate. We, we can't, we, we're, we're not the Messiah. That's not an everyday experience, but let's relate to something maybe that we could put ourselves in and feel the, the weight of it. Imagine being lost in the forest with your children. Say, if you don't have children, imagine you do. They're yours, they're your responsibility. You love them. They're, they're weak, they're small, they're babes. They're not able to take care of themselves to a sense. And, and somewhere in the middle of the very cold and dark wilderness, you know it's necessary for you to leave them alone. Leave them alone there. As a parent, what are you going to tell them in those moments, right before you leave them and you know it's going to be terrifying, what are you gonna tell them to comfort their heart? So this is a pretty important section of scripture. This, this is that John is writing and he's giving it to the churches so he would know exactly what the savior, what Jesus said the night before he died, what was so important, the last words of Jesus, what was so important to give to his 12 disciples and all of his disciples throughout the rest of time. So we're putting ourselves in the disciples' shoes. We need to understand the context. Let's, let's see what he's saying to comfort them in this moment and then let's bring it home. You ready? So let's read it again. Knowing this, John 14, verse one, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. After all of this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. I'm just gonna leave the scripture up on the screen for a little bit as we explain this passage. Jesus tells him right off the bat, don't let your hearts be troubled. You know what he's not saying here? He's saying, don't let it get to the place where it's troubled. He's seeing that their hearts already are troubled and he's telling them, don't let them be troubled. And he's gonna give them reasons why they shouldn't be troubled. Now I wanna show you something very interesting. This word for troubled, agitate, to stir up, right? We know what that feels like inside, right? To be anxious, to be worried about something. Same word, the chapter before, chapter 13, look back at verse 21 in chapter four, uh, 13, real quick. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And testify, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, now, wait a minute, what's going on here? It's the same word. Jesus is telling them not to be troubled. But yet just a few verses before, Jesus, our savior, God himself in the flesh is troubled. Wait, is, it, is he being a hypocrite? What's going on here? 
The point is this, Jesus has legitimate reasons to be troubled and he's going to show the disciples and spoiler us, we have illegitimate reasons to be troubled specifically about what they were troubled about and we'll get to it. Jesus knows that one of them is going to sell him for a few pieces of silver over to his captors that are gonna lead him to an excruciating death. He knows he's going to leave his children he knows that their hearts are sorrowful and he even knows that Peter, he's gonna to have to experience the pain of Peter be a hypocrite with his words. I will never leave you or forsake you, Jesus. And then the experience of Jesus is everyone forsook him. Peter denied him. All of his disciples ran. He went to the cross and he looked and he saw all of his people, the, the Jews Israel, all of them screaming for them to crucify him. And he experienced the wrath of his father and even his own father forsaking him, leaving him utterly alone. Jesus is troubled in his spirit because he knows he is going to be facing being abandoned. Now, what are the disciples troubled about? What would you be troubled about after hearing these things? you would be troubled in your spirit thinking that Jesus is abandoning you, that Jesus is leaving us, which is why later, and when we get into some of these later sermons, you'll see this is why Jesus says to them, I am not gonna leave you as orphans. Why would Jesus say that? Because he knows their heart and he's a great counselor. He knows that that's what they're struggling with and what they need is to replace these lies that they're thinking about with truth and experience comfort in their hearts. So yes, Jesus is troubled in his, his, his spirit because he's actually going to be abandoned by everyone. But instead of spending that time to try to woe is me and get commisery from his and sympathy from his disciples, what does Jesus spend his time, energy, and effort all the rest of the time serving them and ministering to them and trying to comfort their hearts? Do we have a wonderful savior? Let not your heart be troubled. And he says this, believe in God, believe also in me. What is Jesus saying there? Trust me. Trust me in the way that you trust God. Israel, they understood what it meant to believe in God and trust in him, that God never lies, that God is in control. So when Jesus says, believe in me like you believe in God, it's an interesting way of him saying, because I am God. The same way you believe in God is the way you believe in me. And if you go back to chapter 12, you know what Jesus was talking about? He was being very overt and helping people understand I am God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you look at me, you, if you wanna see God, if you look at me, you see God. And he's bringing them back to this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust me, disciples. Trust in what I say. I'm gonna come for you right now because I know your hearts are troubled and you desperately need peace that I need to leave with you that will help peace back and bring your heart to wholeness and completeness so you will be able to experience peace and be whole though the circumstances that I'm telling you about are not ideal. So then he says this, in my father's house are many rooms. Why is this so significant? Why is Jesus out of the blue? Why do you think be comforting his disciples with this truth, right? Because they're gonna, he, he, I imagine he thinks that they believe he's leaving them and abandoning them, leaving them as orphans. He knows what they're going to experience. He knows what Peter's going to experience when the last 
last statement that Peter ever made for his savior was a denial and experienced three days of utterly weeping and feeling miserable and depressed. I'm trying to give you the comfort now so you know for a matter of fact that even though the circumstance looks like I'm leaving you, I will in no way abandon you. In my father's house are many rooms. In heaven, where my father is, there is room for everyone, is what that means. Many rooms. Some, some translations say mansions. This has been a misunderstood verse. The point is not, hey, you're gonna get all this material stuff you love and God's gonna make a mansion for you that's, that's bigger than anything you could imagine and how good you are on planet earth. You're gonna have this great, wonderful mansion and, and you're gonna be able to have your own TV show where you get to show people how awesome your, your mansion is. No, it's, there's room for you in heaven. That's what's comforting. And then he says this, if it were not so, so what I told you that I go, my leaving is also a going to do something to prepare a place for you. Making things ready. I'm doing what I need to do to make sure you have room, disciples. And then he says this because he doesn't make empty promises and he doesn't make half-hearted promises. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, you can be sure of it, come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. What is Jesus talking about? He wants to expel and destroy any thought in his disciples' minds that he's leaving and abandoning them and gonna leave them alone in the wilderness. I mean, could you imagine being in the forest with a a son or a daughter, knowing how scary it's gonna be for them to face the nights and the wilderness and everything without you there by their side, but you know, you know, they may not know it, but you know you have to go away in order to save them. Right, Man, it's such a pool that's going on. No wonder Jesus ends up sweating drops of blood as he prayed, thinking about all of this. If anyone has the right to be agitated and troubled in their spirit because of actually facing hard things, it's Jesus. And Jesus comes to those who are troubled and he says, don't be troubled because you don't have any reason to be. Let me replace the lies in your mind right now that are swirling, taking you down that pit. Let me replace it with comforting truth and leave you with peace. Okay, let's bring it home. Now we know the context. Now we know what the disciples are going through. Bring this home. What what does this mean for you and me? Here today, 2,000 years later. I, I, I want to give you five things. And it's not just like five rosy things that you just write down and that's cool. I'm thinking like, man, eat, sleep, and breathe these. You put these in your pockets because if if one thing I know is true that every single one of God's children can raise their hand and testify to is the, the moments and the reoccurring moments of life where we spiral out of control thinking God's done with us. He's given up on me. He's abandoned me. And those invading lies that make me think that I'm unworthy and God loves everyone else but me. Anyone ever been there? Anyone ever experienced you know, their shortcomings time and time again, and that leads you into thinking God's abandoned you and done with you. You've experienced hardship around you, whether in your health, whether in your job, whether in your relationships, life is crushing in on you. You're experiencing the wilderness and you feel utterly alone. 
and your thoughts are more tending towards God has left me and has abandoned me and he's done with me. Anybody else ever feel that way? Okay, five things from this passage, quotes that you put in your pocket and when you begin to feel that way, you remind yourself of these truths from scripture. Five things to remind yourself when you start to feel that God has abandoned you. So let's bring it home. First thing to remind yourself, you start to feel abandoned is this. Jesus doesn't want me letting my heart go there. Start feeling abandoned. Jesus is saying, let not your hearts be troubled. In other words, stop, stop even entertaining that. It's so untrue that I don't even want you even letting your heart go there. Disciples, let not your hearts be troubled, verse one. Don't be, because there's no reason to be. In that moment, you start feeling that spiral. It is up to you whether or not you take the truth of God and you rest in it and you hold it and you let it hold you. Or are you gonna take that nasty, ugly lie from the enemy and snuggle up to it and feel the cheap comfort of self-pity in that moment as you sit there and reflect on how worthless you are and how God's probably done with you as everyone else but not me. Jesus is saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus wants me not even, doesn't even want me letting my heart go there, okay? Permission from Jesus to not let your heart go there. You don't get a star, you don't get a cookie, and you don't have some sense of humility when you sit there and self-deprecate yourself with lies. When Jesus gave up his only, his, his life and God gave up his only son, so you wouldn't even have to experience that. He experienced that loneliness and that abandonment, so you wouldn't. Jesus doesn't even, want to, doesn't even want me letting my heart go there. Okay, second thing is this. Jesus wants me to trust him, not my feelings. Hey, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Trust me. Trust me versus what? Versus anything else outside of me that would lead you down this path of lies. And in most cases, what we experience today is our feelings, I, I feel lost. I, I, I feel like God doesn't love me. I, I feel in my emotions and in my thoughts that God's done with me. Ergo, this must be true. So I conclude he doesn't. Lies. Broken bodies that are going to deceive you all the time because the heart's deceitful and the enemy wants nothing more than for you to put faith in what your heart's telling you. And for the child of God, far too often the heart is telling you that you're worthless, that God's given up on you, he's abandoned you, and you need to rest in that way because you feel that way. This is why God makes such a powerful, powerful effort towards what we believe because what we actually, actually believe is important. I don't mean what we attest to know that the right answer to the test is. And I think sometimes we confuse belief in God with I know the right answer. No, when you're tested in the moments of life, you find out what you really believe. And so let me put up two people on stage here. You have one person here who actually believes God has abandoned them and hates them and is done with them and they're worthless and he has left them as an orphan. And you have someone over here who goes, man, I don't care what's going on in my life. I know God loves me because he promised me he loves me. He's gonna love me to the end and his grace is greater than my sin. You tell me, is there gonna be a difference in those people's life? Is there gonna be a difference in peace? Who's gonna seem more agitated and troubled? Who's gonna seem more miserable? And it's not because of the circumstances. It's because of what's going on in the heart. God is bringing peace to our hearts. He's trying to mend our hearts with the truth. 
So no matter what we go through, because we will, and he promises we will struggle, we'll have trouble, we'll have plenty of reasons to be agitated. But he's saying, I'm leaving you with my type of peace, not the world's type of peace that tries to help you cope with temporary uh, uh, material things, but eternal truths that will impact and scream forth through every circumstance to keep you devoted to me and keep you resting in my promises, all right? What's the difference? Belief. Believe in God. Not just attest to my existence, but actually believe that what I say and who I am is true. And Jesus says, believe in me, I'm God. So you can trust my words. That's why he says that before he starts to give them the reasons to not be troubled. Believe me, trust me, right? So five things to remind yourself. Jesus doesn't even want me to let my heart go there. Jesus wants me to trust him, not my feelings, What's the third thing? Jesus gives me his word that I have a place in heaven. He gives me his word that I have a place in heaven. He says this, in my father's house are many rooms. There's room for you. It's not like I've shut a door off for you. If it were not so, if this were not the case, Jesus is saying, said it to disciples, now he's saying it to you. Child of God, brother, sister, if this were not the case about you, then why else is Jesus not here right now in heaven preparing a place for you? If this were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus gives me his word. Very interesting. Because what happened just before this, Peter gave Jesus his word that he would not abandon him. And I imagine Jesus with tears welling up in his eyes and says, Peter, yes, you will. And I have to experience that. But guess what? You will never experience that from me. You may leave me, but I will never leave you. How many of us have spent far too long, far many nights of our life, resting and believing the lie that God has given up on me. When he goes through great lengths to say, I experienced the abandonment, so you wouldn't have to. I give you my word. I will never do that to you. Our word means very little. The word of our savior can be trusted. And so when you go through that moment again of life where you've done that thing for the 50 billionth time and you've experienced the sin where you willfully did it and you know you shouldn't do it or you said that thing or you thought that thing and the enemy starts to creep in and starts to accuse you and starts to say you're not worthy to be before God and you start to feel those moments of that spiraling out of control that God's done with me, I'm not worthy. Jesus is there saying, stop. I died so you would never have to ever think that again. And I'm not like up in heaven, like mad that you're having to come to my grace again. It's like the the waves of the seashore that's washing over you every single morning. You don't even know it. It thrills my heart when you come to me for my grace, for when you've failed again. It thrills my heart when you trust me and rest in my grace. Jesus gives me his word, which is better than our word, that I have a place in heaven. What does the scripture tell us? Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Isn't this a beautiful picture? 
of Jesus' love for his disciples, for us, when he has all the reason in the world to be troubled and complain and he spends all of his energy comforting us. That's the type of God and savior we have. That's why he's worthy of everything, lifting our hands, coming together, rejoicing and fellowshipping with one another, eat, sleeping, and breathing this, even in the imperfections of not being able to understand it and just being patient, spending time with Jesus and learning to follow this man for the rest of my life and not the world because the world doesn't give peace. Every time, every time I've tried to go the way of the world and get peace that way, I'm only le- left wanting more and feeling more miserable. Jesus will never do that to us. Fourth thing, you remind yourself when you start feeling abandoned by God, Jesus isn't going to forget me. Yeah, he promises there's a place for me, but you know, you know what? It's, it's been 2,000 years. I'm looking at the world. It seems like evil continues to abound, and I'm starting to wonder, where are you? Maybe he has given up on me. Things in my life are going crazy, and it seems to be no relief. Maybe he has. Jesus is not going to forget me. He gives me his words. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm not going to have wasted energy. I'm not going to go and spend all of this time preparing your place with me and then just like not come get you. I will come again to receive you to myself. Now, by the way, what is he talking about there? Is this an actual event that he's talking about? I believe he's talking about the First Thessalonians 5 promise that Paul tells us about when the saints are all gathered together and we meet the Lord in the air, otherwise known as the rapture, where there's this promise there is going to be a time where the Lord is going to gather everyone, dead and alive, together with him. And then the promise is this, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. A hope that is abounding that is still here thousands of years later. God is not being slow to fulfill that. He is enacting his plan. He is preparing a place for you and every single one, every single person on the planet that has ever believed in him and who needs to still believe in him. He needs to be, there needs to be time and a waiting period so those who are his can be saved. And there's people still not born yet that need to be saved. So God is not dragging his feet. He's loving everyone and giving everyone time to repent, though we know not everyone will. What an encouragement. And then look at this last thing. You remind yourself, based off these verses, Jesus wants me to be with him. It's not like he has to fulfill some duty. It's not like he's just like, he has to be good to me because he said he would. No, he, he wants to. He is doing these things because he wants me to be with him. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. See, why was it so necessary for Jesus to leave his disciples in the wilderness, why was it so necessary for him to go away? There's some, and we're gonna see some, some, some things in this portion of, of the series of these scriptures and these chapters. But what did Jesus have to do in order to secure a place for us? He had to be obedient to the Father's will, which meant this, willingly laying his life down to be crucified and rejected and destroyed. And he did just that. But then he had, he, he rose from the dead, 
But then he spent like 40 days with all of his disciples and hundreds got to see him and man, what, what, what those conversations would have been like. But then he had to ascend. He still had to leave earth. And we're told in John 14 through 16, as we see, one of the reasons was so that the Holy Spirit would come. And we're gonna find out that actually Jesus being in us is far better than Jesus being right beside us. The helper needs to come. It is an advantage for Jesus to go away so the helper comes. But the other thing is this, he had to go and sit at the right hand of the father. He actually had to present his blood to the tabernacle that was in heaven and have the father accept it. And you better believe it was as our great high priest who intercedes for us and who has offered the spotless lamb of God himself once for all mankind, sins eradicated for everyone who believes and trusts in him. He has to go away and he wants you to be with him. And he is the one doing the work to make sure you have a place. And so the moment you start entertaining the reality, the lie, forgive me, the lie that God has abandoned you is the moment you start to distrust and you start to dismantle everything that he has worked so hard for so that you wouldn't have to. Five things I want us to remind ourselves, you better believe in my moments, and I have them, where I'm struggling, I, 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 want, I want to respond and not be troubled, and I want the peace of Jesus, and I have to remind myself of these things constantly, which is why they were written down, and God has made sure that this word has made it to you many years later on the other side of the planet. Here it is. People need this. So we're gonna devote ourselves to this word and this teaching so we can experience the real peace that comes from Jesus and not the world. How you doing? We talk about real peace, does that feel like something that you're like, man, I don't even know what that's like. Maybe there's someone here who's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, that, I'm that person who just knows all the answers to the test, but this has never been real for me. This has never been the case for me. I have never surrendered and given my life to Jesus. It's always just been association and it's never been a relationship. The beautiful thing is, is because he died on the cross, he rose from the dead and he went up to the father because the good news is true and it resounds is there's nothing holding you back from receiving this peace and having reason to not have your hearts be troubled. But as it stands for the rest of mankind, we are told that if we do not repent, we will die in our sins. And then that has a legitimate reason to be troubled, not only for now on this planet earth, but for the rest of all of eternity. You know Jesus and you come to him and you let him fill your life with his peace. You accept his free gift of salvation that comes through simply believing and asking for it. You believe he's Lord. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. You will be saved. And you have not a reason to ever feel that God has abandoned you. Let's pray. Father, you know the hearts of your people. I personally want to say thank you for your word and how it brings such comfort, such comfort for troubled hearts. And as we still are here in the wilderness in a foreign and strange land, groaning and wanting to be with you in heaven, resting in the hope, knowing that's coming, we're still here. Comfort our hearts. Help us devote ourselves to your word and your truth and your way. And feed your people with this truth so we can go about our days as light in the midst of darkness, bringing other people to this salvation. 
Use us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.